Let's together bow our heads and ask the Lord to come into the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you especially for the book of Daniel. Lord, as we start into this new sermon series, I pray that you would help me as the preacher. I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you would stir up our faith to trust in you as our sovereign God. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This church shouldn't be standing, but God has a plan. I must have heard that statement or some version of that statement a dozen times a year for the first time, probably five years that we were here physically in this property. And I don't know how much all of you know of the story of Grace Anglican Church, but in 2006, those who were in leadership then, and in fact, the ent- almost the entire congregation, decided it was time the Lord was leading them to leave their prior denomination, and that meant leaving behind all real property, the buildings and everything, and go into the Orange Park High School and set up chairs every Saturday or Sunday and do church and clean it all up, and it was both exciting But it was also a time of grieving, the loss of the old ways. And um, a couple of things happened that no one really foresaw. One is there ended up being a pretty quick and holistic, like across the whole board, leadership upheaval and a change of who was leading the church. And at the same time, the economic recession started. And so this church was in a major capital campaign and had been raising money to build the building and air condition the room that you're sitting in and pay for those pews you're sitting on, all of that stuff, and we were way underwater. When I got here in January of 2008, this church was $5.8 million in debt, and we were right in the middle of that recession. And people were saying, this church should not be standing, but God has a plan. And people were seeing the hand of the Lord at work in the midst of that story, and he was doing things to... to help the church keep going forward and to make ends meet and pay the mortgage and eventually get that mortgage into the budget. And then I'm glad to say that by the end of this calendar year, we're going to start saying no longer three, we're going to say 2.9 million is our debt. So in 12 years, half of that debt is gone. And that's the Lord's favor. That's the Lord doing that. God has a plan. Many of you know that very well-known Bible verse from Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, I would be surprised if one or two of you didn't even have it hanging on the wall in your house. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for a hope and a future. That's a great verse because God has a plan is what that says. God has a plan and he is going to make that plan happen. However, there's an original context to that verse. It's not meant to be hung on your wall to talk about God's plan for your life. Originally, it was in this context. And here are these verses. This is Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 10. The verse that I just quoted was verse 11. The Lord says, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, meaning Jerusalem, the holy city. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's the original context. It was the exile of the southern kingdom of Judah into Babylon for 70 years, which God foretold by his prophets was going to happen. And God warned would be the result of disobedience. He warned them through Moses many years earlier, and he was just being a a God of his word. Now, 
in the next eight weeks, we're going to study Daniel. And I think it's helpful to recognize that context because we're going to be in that context personally. We're going to do this new sermon series called Daniel, but the subtitle you'll notice in the cover on your bulletin is God's Sovereignty in Challenging Times. I picked it because we're in challenging times right now. It's really hard. And this is kind of in a better part of the world to have a hard time. It's harder in other places than it is even here. These are challenging times, and we need to be reminded of God's sovereignty. So I am intentionally starting chapter 1 of Daniel by focusing on God. My main point is that God has a plan. And I don't want to start with Daniel. I want to start with God because it actually is about him more so than it is about Daniel, his servant. Daniel is all about the Lord's sovereignty. Now, it also deals with what does faithfulness look like in a time of exile, in a time of suffering. If you call yourself a Christian, then I want to suggest to you that your baptism certificate carries more weight than your passport or your social security card or your citizenship, because you are a citizen of heaven. That is your allegiance ultimately. And so in one sense, you're in exile still living in this world. You're living under this world's system. The collect I prayed for today was about being able to withstand the pressures of sin and Satan and the world, the world's anti-God stance. And so we're not the same kind of exiles that Daniel was, but we're experiencing something that I think we can make some connections so I'm asking the question, what does faithfulness look like in times of exile? And I opened this morning with the question, what in your life makes it hard for you to follow God? Where's the pressure? Where are you being pulled into this world's values and system in a way that's causing your faith in God to erode or be challenged or compromised in some way? So think about that as we move through this series. Now, Daniel, I do want to talk about Daniel because um, he's super interesting. What does a 15-year-old boy look like? You know any 15-year-old boys? I used to be one, so I have some sense of what a 15-year-old boy looks like. And I just wrote down a list of some things here. One, unsure of their identity. Another thing, sometimes impulsive. Almost always unaware of the consequences of their actions. They want independence from mom and dad. They're interested in the things of adult life and they want to be treated like an adult, but allowed to still occasionally act like a child. They're starting to get into girls. They're hungry all the time. In fact, fasting is a terrible word to a 15-year-old boy. If you're 15 in here, you know what I'm talking about. You want your food. You need it. You want to fit in and be accepted. A 15-year-old guy, above all things, is impressionable. You're trying to figure things out, and other people leave an impression on you. So if, if somebody wanted to take over your life and assimilate you into a different culture, it should be pretty easy. It usually works, in fact. Now, Daniel, our Daniel here from the Bible, was exiled and taken somewhere around the age 15. I mean, it might be 16, it might be 14, somewhere as a teenager. He was young, he was handsome, he was smart, and he was from the upper crust of society. Maybe part of the royal family, maybe somebody in leadership, wealthy, whatever. He was in a good place, and in 605 BC, 
That's the year. 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes into Judah and takes a whole bunch of their best young talent and brings them all the way to a different land they didn't know with the express purpose of getting them to abandon everything from their old identity and become Babylonians. This was his plan. Judah was small. Judah was in an unfortunate middle ground. You had a power in the south, which is Egypt, and you had a power in the north, which used to be Assyria. The Assyrians came in and wiped out the northern part of Israel in 722 BC, and then the new Babylonian empire took over Assyria, and Nebuchadnezzar was a top leader, and his father was in charge, and now his father died, and now Nebuchadnezzar's in charge, and he wants Egypt, and Egypt wants Palestine, and Judah's right in the middle of that. They were just in a really tight spot, and they were small. They were really small, and they had a man on their throne named Jehoiakim, and he had to make a decision. Am I going to lean on Egypt or am I going to lean on Babylon? Who's going to be my support? And he flip-flopped and he made a bad call. Now, ultimately, God is his king and his Lord, but he, for a while there, was really trusting in one and was trusting in Babylon. And then when Nebuchadnezzar tried to get into Egypt and didn't finish that military conquest, he went, oh, Maybe Babylon's not as strong as Egypt. And he switched allegiances and said, I'm with Egypt now, and started to revolt against Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar said, oh yeah, watch this. And he went straight into Jerusalem in great power, and then he started exiling people and eventually destroyed the whole city. That happened from about 605 BC down to 586 when he destroyed the temple. And Daniel was one of the first group of exiles with his friends, and they took them over there took them over, and they tried to change everything because they wanted the youth, the youth of the future. We know this in church. We know this in society. Education matters. You got to raise up the next generation so they can lead well. So he grabs all the young talent, and here's what he does. He gives them a brand new education. Three years, they're going to learn everything of Babylon's enchanters and mystics and smartest minds. They're going to have to learn a new language, They're not going to be speaking Hebrew anymore. They're going to speak a different language. They're going to be dressing differently. They're going to eat differently. They're going to have different jobs. And they even tried to get rid of their God. They want these teenagers to worship the gods of Babylon. So they changed their name. Your name is your very identity. And let me tell you what the names mean. Daniel means God is my judge. They said, God is your judge. How about this? Your new name is Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect the king. Bel was one of the gods of Babylon. Bel, protect King Nebuchadnezzar. You're not Daniel anymore. That's your new name. And how about Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious? Okay, you're now Shadrach, which means fear Aku. Aku is the moon god of Babylon. Mishael means who is like God? Well, you're now Meshach, which means who is like Aku, the moon god. You see this? They're trying to change their very identity and wash their God out of their life completely and replace with false worship. Azariah, Yahweh is a helper. Your name is now Abednego, servant of Nebo, another one of their gods. They tried to change their worship by changing their name and their identity and everything about them. Now that should have worked because a 15-year-old boy is typically very impressionable. But we have this book in the Bible because of what God did through his servant Daniel and his friends. Now, this is a highly crafted and fashioned narrative. It is historical, 
but it's written more like a narrative to try and point out some important things. And if you understand basic plot line in a story, you have character, introduction, and development, and then it comes to some kind of conflict, and then usually some kind of resolution. Every good story does that. We are looking for that. And if you're looking for just the narrative plot line, the key moment is verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Not that it would physically defile him, but ceremonially, as a good Jewish boy, he was following the kosher rules, and maybe that wine had been offered to one of those gods for whom they're now named, and if he was to drink that king's wine, it was, it was a, being complicit in the worship of those false gods. And he resolved, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stand strong. Again, 15-year-old or whatever teenager, that's hard to do. Now, if you don't understand good biblical interpretation or you don't understand that this book is entirely about Jesus, you might take away the wrong moral example from this. Be like Daniel. Resist culture, eat in a healthy way, and stand up for your faith. Do it. You can do this. And you might miss some really important things. It's really that God has a plan. And we're going to see God's favor here. And what I want to do is I'm going to point out three things that God gives and then a fourth thing God gives. And I'll, you'll see why I'm saying it that way in a minute. But three specific things in this passage. And I'm going to start with verse 9. These are the things God gave that made it possible for Daniel and his friends to withstand the pressures of Babylon. God was carrying them along. So in verse 9, it says this. That's right after he says, um, he's not going to defile himself with the food or the wine that he drank. And then it says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I mean, that guy could have just wiped him out right there. How dare you not submit to what we're offering you? But he doesn't do that. However, he does say, no way. I'm afraid of the king of Babylon. That guy's crazy. At times, he'll fly off, off the handle and do stuff. You'll see it. I, I'm not going to do that because my head's on the, on the line here. So he says no. But see, God had given him favor. And that favor is going to manifest itself in such a way that he's going to start to rise up. If you know the Bible, you know the story of Joseph, it has very big similarities Joseph also was exiled and was taken down. He was sold into slavery in Egypt. And God gave favor to Joseph with the jailer and with other people. And he becomes number two only to Pharaoh. This is not the first time a story like this has happened in the scriptures. And so God is giving favor and he's giving wisdom and he's helping these leaders for the sake of God's promises. Now, he decides to do this fast. And I know Daniel fasts are all over the internet. You can find a ton of them. And they're very specific, surprisingly. And all this says in Daniel is he doesn't eat rich food, meat, or wine. Instead, he eats vegetables. I can tell you this. If you eat nothing but vegetables for 10 days, you will not look fat, healthy, and strong. You will lose weight, and you might look grumpy. <laughs> I want you to recognize there's a miraculous thing at play here. God gave favor to Daniel and his friends, which is why this three years of eating vegetables made them look strong. Meat is actually helpful. You need protein and other things. And so God is doing something here. That's verse 9. Verse 17, it says, as for these four youths, God gave them, I circled three times in here, God gave or the Lord gave. Verse 17, God gave them learning 
and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God gave them the ability to learn and to interpret dreams and all these things. You've heard of the myth of the self-made man or woman, right? It's a myth because there is no self-made man or woman. If you think of yourself as a self-made person and you've achieved a lot and are considered worldly successful, what did you use to get there? Well, I worked really hard. Well, who gave you the energy? Well, I was top of my class. Well, who gave you the intelligence? Well, I studied at such and such a school. Well, who placed you in the country where you were in a family that could afford that education? What exists in your life that does not originate from God? Only sin. Everything else he gave, God gave. God gave them this favor. And I think it's interesting that at the end of the whole thing, in in verse 20, it says, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the other people. 10 times. Numbers mean something in the Old Testament. That was a heavy and a full amount. 10 times better. It's meant to have emphasis because God was doing something in their lives. God is the one who had the plan. God is the one who's promoting them and sustaining them. And then I'm going to work backwards to verse 2. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand and some of the vessels of the house of worship, which he took off to Babylon. It is God who brings rulers to power and who deposes them. Romans 13 talks about that. The governing authorities are in place because God has permitted them to be there. Remember that in this this semester, in the next couple of months, God is in charge of leadership. God raises up leaders and God deposes leaders. Now, Jehoiakim was not particularly a faithful person. In fact, he was the opposite. If you read 2 Kings 23, at the end of that chapter, it says, and Jehoiakim did evil in the sight of the Lord. And interestingly enough, if you read in Jeremiah 25, 9, it says of Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar my servant. God calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant, this nasty dictator ruler guy from Babylon. Wait, what? God is working in both nations. God is working all over the place. God has a plan. God is bringing his plan to fruition. Now, there's an important designator also in verse 2 that we have to pay attention to. And I, I didn't I'll admit, right now I sound like I have all the answers. I spent a lot of time studying to be able to have these answers. So I didn't catch this the first time I read it. But in verse 2, the land of Shinar is significant. Maybe some of you knew this. I'd be impressed if you did. But it's a, it's a reference back to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Now, the, this is Genesis 11, 1 and 2. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east... They found a plain in the land of Shinar. You know, why didn't Daniel just say in Babylon? Because he wanted us to recognize this is where Babylon is, in the land of Shinar. And they settled there, and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The land of Shinar and the Tower of Babel, Babel in Babylon, it's all about humanity apart from God. It's all about the best accomplishments that humans can do, ignoring what God gives. We want 
to be successful. We want the blessings of this life, but we don't want the blesser. We don't want God's authority over us. Babylon is not only a literal place, it's actually figurative throughout the scriptures. Babylon is very much still with us. It's in your life and in my life. If you read Revelation 18, you see a number of prophecies speaking against Babylon, that wicked Babylon. It represents all that is contrary to goodness and the Lord. In fact, it picks up the very original sin. The original sin was this. Hey, Adam and Eve, says the serpent, God has a plan and it cannot be trusted. That's what got them to reject God's leadership and try and take over for themselves and plunged all of humanity into what we experience today. It was all about the spirit of Babylon, which is anti-God, get rid of God. That's the original temptation. And Daniel lived his entire life in this. This chapter comes to this conclusion. It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. He was the leader of Persia. Persia eventually takes over for Babylon. He lived 70 years in Babylon. He was 15 or so. He he was 85 when the very first of the exiles started to go back under Cyrus's rule into Palestine. His entire life was lived there. And you know how he remained strong? God gave him some things. Not only these favors I've already talked about, the first three, he also gave him some friends, which is really important. And God gave him the word of Jeremiah, a hope and a future. But see, his hope was that they would get back into the land and God would get his king on the throne. But I think the hope has to be bigger than that because there's still an Egypt and there's still a Persia and there's still these other people that are evil and doing bad things in the world. And so the plan has to be bigger. God has a plan, and it culminates in Jesus, the perfect king, ruling all hearts and renewing the whole earth. In John, in John's gospel, chapter 3, there is debatably an allusion, a reference to Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Several of the commentaries I read said this. This is is John chapter 3, verse 35. It says, the father loves the son, and has given all things into his hand. My point is that the Lord has given. And he gave these things to Daniel and his friends. He gave, them, he gave one king into another king's hand. He gave favor to Daniel and his friends. He gave wisdom to be ten times stronger to them. And the Lord has given into his son Jesus Christ all things. He's the Lord of all. And so this is the fourth thing. I said I was going to give you three things and a fourth. This is the fourth one, that Jesus is Lord. And when Christianity started in in that first couple of centuries after the resurrection, do you know Rome, another dominion, had occupation of Palestine, and there was persecution breaking out. Again, they were persecuted, and they were in exile in a sense because they had occupation from Rome. And you know what their first creed was? Jesus is Lord implying, and Caesar is not. They would not give in to the imperial worship of Caesar, and they would go to their deaths rather than do that because they believed in the plan of God, which is that Jesus is Lord, and he's going to rule all. Eventually, that will come. And you know what makes it hard? Back to my question. Why is it difficult? How is it difficult in your life to be faithful to God? There's two things. Either there's the persecution and the hardships of life where you don't belong as exiles in this world, or and this is maybe even more dangerous for some of us, it's the comfort and the delicacies of the king's table, the worldly king's table. Eat, drink, and be merry, says one group of thought. Enjoy this life. Live for these things. I want to tell you today that God's plan is better. I want to encourage you to set your heart on it. 
I want to encourage you to remind yourself, Jesus is Lord in these difficult times. God's sovereignty, his plan is pointed on to Jesus as Lord. And I'm going to invite the musicians to come up and uh, we're going to sing a sermon response song after I pray, reminding ourselves that we need him. And I, I want to ask you to pray with me now. Lord, I'm so thankful for this new study of Daniel. I'm thankful for the encouragement we find in difficult times. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remain strong. Help us to recognize the things that are good that you give us to help us, to encourage us. Lord, strengthen our faith this morning. Help us renew our trust in you. For I ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I want to invite you